Welcome to the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast from Never Too Late Cafe. I'm your host, Laura Womack. Each week we sit down for a chat with someone just like you, someone who had an idea, a passion, a dream, or sometimes just a thought, and planted that seed, watched it grow into something they wanted to share with the world. If you have an idea for a topic or someone that would be a guest for the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast, Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, where you can join our Never Too Late Cafe Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. Hi, everyone. This is Laura Womack of Never Too Late Cafe with the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast. And I have a very special guest with me today, Desai Whitley. So, hi, welcome. Hi there. Well, tell us a little bit about where you're from and what form of art you do? Well, uh, like you said, my name is Josiah Whitley. I'm from uh, technically from Wheelersburg, Ohio, but uh, born in Portsmouth and raised in Wheelersburg, just about eight miles away. A little, pop- a little population. It's about 6,000 people that live in the Berg. And uh, I am a singer-songwriter. Oh, wonderful. So we tell stories here. And so how long have you been you know, interested in songwriting and how did you get into it? Well, what got me into writing songs was when I picked up the guitar when I was 12, I started out on the mandolin when I was six. I wasted the first six years of my life, Uh, but (laughs) uh, I picked up the mandolin at that age because that was the earliest time anyone had ever actually asked with sincerity if I wanted to play music. The answer was always yes, but it was the first time an adult had ever asked. And as a kid, the the songwriting bug did not bite me at all. But when I picked up the guitar um, and I started uh, learning some things from my grandpa and my dad, what started it was my dad would, uh, he was an accomplished guitar player, and he would play something just randomly. And I'm like, man, what the heck is that? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I just made it up. And it blew my mind because my grandpa never did that on the mandolin. Never. Like he always was always working on a song from a book or learning a song from a a cassette or a record. So he never had really much creative um, juices running through him, I guess. But my dad did, but he only wrote a couple of tunes. And that's what started it as a 12 year old was learning. Well, I want to do that too. So what I started doing was I realized at a very young age, when I was just learning the guitar, I learned that if I felt a certain way inside, I could play something on the guitar that mirrored that feeling, and I felt so good. And I learned as a kid that if I felt sad, if I played something sad, then it would like I would like get it out. And if I felt really happy, like I could play something that sounded happy. Like so, I realized at a very early age, I had that ability that I could connect music with my emotions. And then it went from there to doing words and telling stories with my songs and and just growing as a writer. Wow. So you have actually done um, some group like collaborations with a couple of people from out of the area, like out of state, you connected with some people and you did some songwriting together. Yeah. So like um, with songwriting, I've collaborated with um, my very good friend, Abby Emmons, who was my first collaborator. 
And uh, our collaboration is still going strong 10 years later, which is a lot of fun. And it's nice to work with somebody that you wholeheartedly trust. Um, so we, we've wrote a few tunes together, but my, my biggest collaborator uh, and my most successful one has been with my friend, Charlie Haskins. Uh, he came up with this uh, wicked awesome idea that uh, I never would have thought of. And I think of myself as, as creative, but Charlie is a living, is a living, breathing, creative monster. I mean, he's always doing something new every day and I'm very envious of that. But he came <laughs> up to me one day and he said, Hey man, he goes, I've been really thinking about this. And he said, why don't we collaborate? And he's like, but what I, what I want to do is I want to give you one of my paintings and then like, you'll take that home and you'll create a song based off of my painting and I'll completely stay out of your way. I'm just like, here, here's my thing. You take it from there. And then he goes, while you're doing that, why don't you give me one of your songs and I'll take it home into my studio and then I'll listen to it and I'll create a painting based off of your song. And he goes, and then what we can do is we can put the paintings and the lyrics side by side in a book. And then that way we can, it'll be interactive. And then inside the book itself, the CD will be in a sleeve. So it's a whole package. So you can put the CD in, you can look at the painting, you can interact with it, you know, by reading the lyrics, looking at the painting. Um, and then you can enjoy the book by itself or the CD by itself. And I said, that is an awesome idea. So we did that. It was called Moon Songs. It came out on Record Store Day in November of 2018, I believe. Well, no, I know Charlie. And yes, he is very talented. He's I've hired him for some work before, and I know he's illustrated books and oh my all kinds of stuff. Oh he deserves so much more accolades. Yeah. So um and you're really, really good at the guitar. <laughs> I mean, there are videos of you and it's like, take it away. So <laughs> how did you get developed to that extent? That's amazing. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. That means so much to me. Um, well, it's like anything else. It's like any other skill. Uh, I, I heard this as a kid um, that there is the rule of the 10,000 hours. Have you ever heard of that? The 10,000 hour rule? No. So that's, um, that's a principle that states it takes 10,000 hours uh, to master anything, regardless of what it is. So, you know, somebody as, um, as blue collar as a welder or like a carpenter to somebody like a painter or an illustrator or a poet, 10,000 hours, they say it takes to master. And as a kid, um, I give my grandpa all this credit. Um, he's no longer with us, but um, when I was a little boy on the mandolin, my grandpa treated me. He was retired at that point, and he treated me like his retirement, uh, his <laughs> retirement hobby. <laughs> so, his uh, job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we would play the mandolin literally for hours every day as a little kid, and uh, that was a big workload as a kid. And I, I remember really not enjoying it all that much um, because. My grandparents babysat us uh, during the school year and in the summer. And during the school year, we would literally, as soon as I got off the bus, got something to eat, I was in the music room until my dad came and picked me up. So it would be like three hours of like nonstop working and listening. And and um, when I got the guitar, I absolutely fell head and heel, like head over heels madly in love with the guitar. 
And I learned how to practice. I learned how to take those hours and make them useful and make them not boring. So I was playing the guitar when I was 12, like four hours a day on average. And then on the weekends when I didn't have school and I I played soccer too, and I was a straight A student. But during the weekends, it would be like six or eight hours. I just played nonstop. And that will get you good at anything if you put that kind of dedication and effort into it. That's a lot of time. It and, is. And the other things that you did too, I don't see how you fit it all in. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so, nice is when you get, when you get good enough at the guitar or like anything, you know, you, you kind of go on autopilot. So you really don't have to think about it too much. You know, it's just like a skill that's, it's just in your subconscious. So you can focus on other stuff. And you teach it now. I do. I've been giving guitar lessons to kids and adults of all ages and experience levels since June of 2009. So been teaching for quite a while. That that is. So you um, have some records out, correct? Mm-hmm. I do. And you play out like you 150 to 175 gigs a year, a thousand miles a week. A thousand miles a week. That is a lot. Um, so this podcast is called bloom where you're planted Mm -hmm. and that is different for everybody. So what does that mean to you? I've thought long and hard about, uh, about that question. Um, when you uh, brought that up to me yesterday, I think it depends. Like you said, it's, it's different for everybody. I, to me, it's, it's a two, it's a two answer answer or a two part answer. I should say my bad, a two part answer. Um, in my circumstance, it is. And in the past it's been, well, bloom where you are planted. Well, plants don't get to decide where they're planted. So they bloom where they are. Meaning in my opinion, they do the best they can. They shine where they're, where they are assigned and they do the best they can and try to put the best on, you know, um, but also mm. I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, dandelions kind of get a choose and you know, they might get to move their stem one way and let the breeze catch them and then they go somewhere else. So I guess if you don't like where you're planted, hopefully you're a dandelion and you can catch the wind and go somewhere more favorable <laughs> and bloom there. Um, not long ago, I posted something about if, um, if a weed, I don't know how I said it. It was something about if is a weed still a flower if it as a bloom or something, you know, because they do, you know, a lot of people do. don't. So that is very interesting. I like that. And so you go what region around Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia? Yeah, the tri-state, Indiana. Um, I will go all over the continental U.S. if I could afford it. And if I had the fan base to where I could justify that, I would never be home. (laughs) I I would be literally burning up the road hundreds of miles a day. I absolutely love being on the road. I love, love, love it. And I love everything about it. Um, The furthest I've been... The drive and everything? The drive and everything? The driving is my favorite part. Oh, okay. (laughs) So... I'm, I'm not making this up either. I'm, I just got married. So oh, um, I got married three months ago. Thank you. Oh, it's uh, new. <laughs> and yeah. She, she still has that new wife smell. But <laughs> when, uh, before I was married and I was living on my own, 
And, and I've done this ever since I was a teenager. If I had nothing to do, I was putting gas in my car and just driving and get lost. And mm -hmm. I still love to do that. And whenever I have the free time and the free money, that's what I would do. And I would drive around the county and the surrounding counties and come home and then be like, man, I got to drive to Cleveland tomorrow. I better get some sleep and not think anything about it. Uh, wow. I mean, the farthest I've been by car for a gig is Fargo, North Dakota. And I drove it all in one day. It, it took, yeah, it took 18 and a half hours to get from Dayton, Ohio to, uh, to Fargo. So. Wow. I have a friend that just went from Stout to North Dakota because that's where she's from. But there he didn't do it all at one shot. Yeah, it, I went two ways as well. It was That's an interesting story I was in. I was playing at North Dakota State University, and I'm 31 now. You know, I'm still, you know, a, a pretty young guy. Uh, playing at colleges, if you're going to be in your 30s, you better be pretty well established. If you're in your 20s, you can get away with it because you're still almost college age. Um, but colleges will, will pay you a really nice chunk of change for practically hardly any services. So uh, at Fargo, I got in touch with them, and they were like, we would love to have you. And they said, um, we'll get you a rental car. We'll get you a hotel and um, we'll promote you to death. And they did. I still have it. It's, it's not here in this room, but they made a movie sized, a movie poster sized poster, two feet by three feet of me with my name and my face on it. And um, they were like, we'll pay you X amount of money for 90 minutes of music. And it was more money than I made in a month at my day job working at a school. And I said, I'll take that. So, you know, I, I drove all the way out there and it was worth it. And I'd never been out, out west, but I was getting the car and a man in the um, in the waiting room overheard why I needed the car. And he said, if you're willing to take this from a stranger, because I lived in North Dakota for 30 years. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, because I moved here because my family's here and we visited all the time. Because if you want to see a lot of the country, he said, go through Minnesota and Wisconsin the first time. And when you come back, go through um, South Dakota and Nebraska and Iowa and then over through Illinois and Indiana. So that's what I did. I did a big teardrop looking thing to see all those states. <laughs> I couldn't I help it. I friends went through uh, Minnesota because they, they have a camper and they camped on the way. So Minnesota was one stop. So mm -hmm. that's interesting because it just it's in process right now. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you get North Dakota? I mean, do you just thought one day, hmm, I'm going to call North Dakota University. No, that's, that's very interesting that you say that. Um, what I realized very early on, because um, I was always um, in bands from the time I was, I was in a fir my first band, I was 13. And I played with my dad and my grandpa in the bluegrass group. And we never did play out. We might have did like two shows in our whole time. Um, and I played in various rock bands and we played some. And I realized that I wasn't making a living doing this. And I wanted to make a living. And I said, well, I'll make more money if I do this on my own. And when it came time to booking, I'm like, man, there's a lot of places, but I don't know where to look. So I started looking wherever I could, finding every resource imaginable. And one of the things I stumbled upon was a college database um, spreadsheet that somebody had made and they kept updated. And that was, I had to pay for it. I think it was like $200 or something. It was kind of expensive for all that information, but it had over 750 colleges. 
So it was every college in the U.S. that offered live entertainment. And it had all their information. All I had to do was just get on the horn. So I took that and um, put it into my computer and started emailing and cold calling like crazy. I used to work at AT&T. And I had the worst job at AT&T. I was a door-to-door salesman. <laughs> and it, it sucked. I only worked there for like three weeks. I lived in Nashville for a brief period and did that. And what they taught me was they taught me about sales. They taught me about how to work a database and everything. So I took what I learned from working at AT AT&T as a salesman and thought, okay, well, my product is me. I'm a musician. I want to play and you need me. So I started doing that. And the college thing was difficult because you normally need a college agent and that's expensive. And I didn't have the money. So the fact I even got a college gig was already very, very rare. And then the fact I got one so far away that paid so well was literally that's like hitting the Powerball. It's that's mm. so hard to do without any kind of professional support. So no, I just they were the only ones that that called. I, I called out to as far as L.A. and Seattle and New York City, and I did a few I did a few gigs around. I uh, like Raritan, New uh, not New, not Raritan, but New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, I played at Rutgers there. I played in Syracuse, New York. Um, the University of Mississippi. Yeah, I've, I've been everywhere and it's because of of that. I would have done a lot more if I would have had the, the resources, but I just couldn't. So when did you start recording? How did that come about? Um, almost as soon as I made the decision, I wanted to play music full time as a solo artist. Uh, like I said, I, I played in other groups, but we weren't making anything. And I said, well, I, I literally want music to only pay my bills. So the first thing is when you want to go play somewhere, well, the very first question that Vinny's going to ask is, uh, you got any music? I got to hear you. Right. So what demo do you at least. Yeah. So how that happened was January 2015, I was 24 years old and I made a New Year's resolution to myself. I said, I'm going to push as hard as I can to to make this happen. And I'm going to record my music. I'm going to write my music. I'm going to trying to get published. I'll get a, I'll start a publishing company so I can get my music on Spotify and iTunes and wherever. And I'm going to just push and push and push as hard as I can until I finally realize I can't do it for a living. So that was in January. And then by February, I had my first EP recorded and I had all the songs written. It was, it's very rough. Uh, the quality is, is frankly, it's piss poor, <laughs> but the, the songwriting was there from the beginning and that helped. And as I got more comfortable, because I never sang before either before that. So once I got more comfortable singing, once I got more comfortable being alone on stage and being vulnerable to share people something I had created with the intention, I mean, with the the knowledge that people might really hate it, you know, all that stuff, or they might really love it. It, it started back then in January 2015, and it's it hasn't stopped. So what gives you inspiration for your writing? You know, songs literally come from anywhere and from nowhere. And I love to give this analogy when people ask that. So to me, songwriting is a cake that's made out of three ingredients. You got the story or just the topic of the the song. You got the lyrics that tell the story. And then you got the music and it's kind of like making a bowl of cereal. A cereal is two ingredients, milk and cereal, sometimes sugar, right? 
there is some weirdo out there that puts milk in the bowl before they put the cereal. But at the end of the day, it's still a bowl of cereal and it's going to be good. So it doesn't matter what, what's, <laughs> it doesn't matter what comes first. It doesn't matter if the music comes first or, you know, you hear a good story. A good story is always going to keep being told because it's a good story. Mm. So you find a good story and like, Oh, I'll take that one. You know, then you start writing about it or maybe you, you're doing the dishes and you got a really good line or you heard someone say something in, in the bar and you're like, Ooh, that's a good line right there. Then you write it down and you start with that. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, you got these three ingredients and you stick them in the oven. You put some heat on it, meaning you, you try it. You try to fuse these things together by playing your song. And then when it's done, you look at it and go, boy, that's great. I think I'll share it. And if it's bad, you go, Oh, that turned out awful. I'm throwing it away. And you just keep going until you get enough. So with your driving, do you ever get, I mean, that's a, you know, I've had jobs in the past where I did a lot of driving and that gives you a lot of time to think. Did you ever have any inspirations come from being on the road? Oh my gosh. So many Johnny Cash summed it up the best. He said, I write just as good behind a steering wheel as I do behind a guitar. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true because, you know, I've written complete songs before without the guitar around and I knew where the chords would be and what the melody is. And I've written songs in like 15 minutes writing, just driving in the car. I'm like, man, I cannot wait to get home so I can, you know, try this thing out and sing it into the phone. Um, I've done that quite a few times. That is so interesting. And I was wondering about the road because I, I just think it's, you know, you, you don't have a, there's a freedom to the road. If you're not going into a city and having to look or road construction, all that stuff, but just endless driving with, I, I know that that can be inspiring. Thanks for joining us for part one of our conversation with Josiah Whitley. Be sure to catch part two next week on the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast from Never Too Late Cafe.